granted that we already know who God is. There are so many powerful and influential pictures of God in the culture around us that bleed into Christian thinking about God and can distort our beliefs about what God wants with us and what God wants from us. In case you're wondering what kinds of things I'm talking about, let me remind you, if you're old enough, of the Hollywood portrayals of God. Some of us are old enough to remember George Burns in the movie, Oh God, Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty, and a nameless but angry face in the sky in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. But most recently, The Shack, in which God appears first as an African-American woman and then as a Native American man. And I'm not saying that all those are wrong portrayals, I'm just saying that they're conflicting portrayals. And sometimes, as insofar as we're influenced by the culture around us, and especially by entertainment, we can easily get confused about who God is. So no wonder people are confused about who God is. I find that to be true as a professor teaching students, most of whom grew up as Christians, but they come into my classroom and have many different images of God. And it takes quite a while to sort them through and figure out who God really is in distinction from the pictures of God in popular culture. And we are all influenced by those. I don't think that we Christians are automatically immune to being wrongly influenced by the popular culture around us just because we carry our Bibles to church. English New Testament scholar and theologian and friend of mine, N.T. Wright, tells a story that expresses the difference between the God of merely human culture and religion on the one hand and the God Jesus came to reveal to us on the other hand. Wright began his ministry as a chaplain at Oxford University, where one of his duties was to meet with incoming first-year undergraduate students. Most were happy to talk with him, but there were always a few who either out of embarrassment or great pride would say something like, oh, you won't be seeing much of me because I don't believe in God. N.T. Wright, the chaplain, had a stock response ready for the budding young atheists. He would say, oh, that's very interesting. Exactly which God is it you don't believe in? When the student recovered from their surprise at that question, the God they didn't believe in usually turned out to be the all-seeing cosmic killjoy who looks down with dismay at a world that never seems to satisfy him. If he intervenes at all in our world to them, it was only to perform the odd miracle to keep us guessing at what he was up to. Mostly, in their minds, he spent his time figuring out who deserved hell and who was good enough to share his heaven. When the student finished describing the God they didn't believe in, Wright says he would respond soberly, Well, I'm not surprised that you don't believe in that God because I don't believe in him either. Many students were taken aback by that, but others took it in stride because they'd heard the rumor that most of the chaplains at Oxford University were really closet atheists. After a pregnant pause, Wright would finally let the other shoe drop and say with a kind smile, but I do believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus Christ. So to drop my main point on you early, let me tell you another story. 
Over the years, one of the most influential Christian theologians, both in Europe and America, has been now 95-year-old Jürgen Moltmann. I've studied with him, read his books, had opportunities to meet with him, even have dinner with him. And he's been something of a mentor from afar for me and many Christian theologians around my age, both older and younger than I am. Recently, I watched a series of segments of an interview with Moltmann on YouTube. The interviewer is a former student of Moltmann's and a friendly acquaintance of my own who teaches Christian theology at Yale Divinity School. At the very beginning of the interview, Miroslav Wolf asks his mentor Moltmann, who is God for you? Without hesitation, world-class theologian Jürgen Moltmann said, Jesus, just simply Jesus. And then he says, if it weren't for Jesus, I wouldn't believe in God. Now these stories perhaps warm our hearts and sound very pious to us, but sometimes I wonder how much we really agree with N.T. Wright and Jürgen Moltmann. Is Jesus the face we always think of first and foremost when we think of God? Or is it that nameless, angry face in the sky, in Monty Python, in the Holy Grail, or something else? I want to say that I think Jesus should be the first person we think of when we think of God. I really believe there can be no more important question than who is God. None at all. No question is more important than who is God for you? Who is God for me? Because even believers in God have so many different pictures of God in their minds. And every mental image of God has consequences for our everyday life. Did you know that Hitler believed in God? He absolutely did. He was not an atheist. When he narrowly escaped death from a bomb planted near him by a conspirator would-be assassin, after that he frequently attributed his survival to God. He saw his narrow escape from assassination as proof that God was with him and on his side. You see, I happen to think that everyone believes in God. I don't take atheism seriously. I believe awareness of a creator being who is all-powerful and eternal is planted in our hearts. To me, atheists are just people who are in denial about what they really know. You've heard the old saying about war and soldiers that there are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> well, I would dare to say that there are no atheists at all. There are only people whose god or gods are unworthy of worship, or they prefer to live in denial of the one supreme creator god because they don't want to be accountable to him. So for me, the real question is not whether God exists, I've never doubted that, but who God is. Not what God is, but who God is. Which of the many gods people believe in or deny believing in is worthy of worship? And how should we Christians depict God to ourselves and to other people? What we all need and really want is a God who is both equally great and good. Remember the old prayer that many of us grew up with. God is great and God is good. Say it with me. And we thank him for our food. There's some good theology packed into that little prayer. 
Fortunately for us, the one true God who is worthy of everyone's worship has revealed himself, and not only in a book. He revealed himself most fully, most perfectly, most completely in a person, Jesus Christ, who was more than a prophet or founder of a religion, more than even a moral teacher or example, We believe, I hope we all believe, that he was God incarnate. But that means then that he was and still is the human face of God. God showing himself to us, especially showing his character in a human being like us but without sin. So what do we see in Jesus Christ about God? That's the $64,000 question, not just for theologians or preachers, but for all Christians and even all people. Right now, you might be wondering why I'm even talking about this. Why does this even really matter? You might be thinking, we already know this. We just sang it. (laughs) Well, yes, most sermons I hear are reminders of what most Christians already believe. What a sermon does beyond reminding us is to explain why remembering is important. So let me tell you another story that will perhaps explain why this is important to think about. And this comes out of my own recent experience teaching at Baylor University, a Southern Baptist university, although not part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but Baptist and Southern. In the year 2000, so 20-some years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention held a meeting where it amended its statement of faith called the Baptist Faith and Message. Now, the Baptist Faith and Message was first written in 1925 and revised in 1963. So why did the Southern Baptist Convention amend it in the year 2000? Well, they included a new clause in the new Southern Baptist Faith and Message that said women cannot be preachers or pastors of churches. At that time, our pastor in Waco was a woman. But even worse, in my opinion, they removed from the 1963 Baptist Faith and Message a clause which says that Jesus Christ is the key to interpreting all of Scripture. And that was the most controversial part of the change that they made. So in 2001, a year later, the Baptist General Convention of Texas, of which Baylor is a part, voted to reject the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message and keep the 1963 one. And the main reason they gave, and I was at the meeting where they voted on it, was to keep in the Baptist Faith and Message that Jesus Christ is the key to interpreting all of Scripture. Now, back to my sermon and my main explanation and exhortation to you. In Jesus Christ, God revealed in a way never revealed before through any prophet that he, God, is both perfectly great and perfectly good. Two things we often have trouble holding together. We have a tendency to separate greatness and goodness probably because so many good people we know are not especially great, at least in terms of power, and so many of the great people we know, especially in terms of power, are not very good. Over the centuries, Christian thought about God and theology and worship have tended to swing back and forth, either overemphasizing God's greatness to the detriment of his goodness, 
or overemphasizing God's goodness to the detriment of his greatness. The trick, I believe, is to hold them together, to do good justice to both God's greatness and goodness. So what was revealed in Jesus Christ that we need to make the center of our thinking about who God is and what God is like? First, in Jesus Christ, God revealed himself as compassionate power. Second, God revealed himself as powerful compassion. Let me start with compassionate power. Revealed in Jesus' healings and raisings from the dead. If you were suffering, you wanted to be near Jesus because he had compassionate power. Then, also, powerful compassion. Revealed in Jesus' judgment on those who oppressed the weak and the powerless and who rejected those who society rejected, especially the self-righteous Sadducees and Pharisees. You didn't want to mess with Jesus if you were self-righteous. Now, I've never really been one who likes to preach because I believe preaching can upset people. I don't like to upset people, but let me risk it now. You can't fire me, so here I go. Because I believe God perfectly revealed himself in Jesus Christ in a way far superior to the way he revealed himself through any human prophet, I always invite my students to read the Bible backwards. Start with the New Testament and read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament especially in light of the person of Jesus Christ as the perfect revelation of who God is. Even, yes, the revelation of the God of the Old Testament who tried very hard to reveal himself, his heart and his will through the prophets. I'll take a bit of a risk at sarcasm here, or at least caricature, and suggest that God up in heaven was shaking his head sadly and saying to himself or among themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, people, even our own people, even our best prophets just aren't quite getting what we're telling them. There's only one thing left to do for their salvation and also for their relationship with us. We have to become one of them. Then the incarnation happened. Thanks be to God. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not a follower of the early church heretic named Marcion of Rome, who in the second century gathered a large following among Christians by taking my point to an extreme. He wanted to throw the whole Old Testament out of the Bible and even suggest that the creator God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, was not the God of Jesus Christ. The church fathers were right to oppose him and condemn him as a heretic. However, I worry that too many Christians have only an Old Testament picture of God in their minds when they think of God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was something of a culprit in this. He posited a hidden God, a God behind Jesus Christ, who was and is the author of evil and all calamity, and who, for his own reasons we can never fathom, wants innocent children to die horrible deaths. But then Luther would turn right around and say, but don't think about that. Picture only Jesus when you think about God. I've never been able to figure out how Luther could say both of those things. 
Now, I'm a student and a teacher of Christian history, and ever since I first learned about Anabaptists, including Mennonites, I've admired many things about this tradition that began as something of an alternative to Luther and other of the so-called magisterial reformers who wanted the church and the state to cooperate with each other. The Swiss Brethren, the first Anabaptists, who met in Zurich in 1525 and refused to baptize their babies and baptized each other, argued for believer baptism. And they also taught that God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ and that there is no hidden God lurking behind Jesus Christ who is the cause of evil and innocent suffering and even hell. The Anabaptists then and now, including Mennonites, have always emphasized the New Testament over the Old Testament, reading the Bible backwards. I don't know if you know about that part of your tradition. In other words, they understand the Old Testament as promise and the New Testament as fulfillment. But I meet many Christians today who have a similar view of God as Luther's, and that is what I reject for me And I hope also for you, God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. And there's no hidden God lurking behind Jesus who secretly isn't really so compassionate after all. No, God is like Jesus. No, wait, that's not strong enough. God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. Jesus said to his disciples, if you see me, you see the Father. He meant the Father is no different in character and in disposition than I am. So my final word to you is change your mind about God if you struggle with God's goodness or power. Focus on Jesus when you wonder what God is like. God is one who condescends to die on a cross for for us and for all mankind. That's a scandal to the rational mind. That's a scandal to philosophy. So we tend to think of God as the angry father who would slaughter us all for our sins if only Jesus would get out of the way. That's not what Jesus said or revealed about God, a God who can limit his power but not his love. What I do hope is that the practical takeaway from this sermon is like this. First of all, I want you to picture God as always just like Jesus, compassionately powerful and powerfully compassionate. Cleanse your mind of any thought of God as the author of evil or innocent suffering. Think of God as your friend who always only wants the best for you. And second, share that with others the message of Jesus as the human face of God, the fellow sufferer who understands our struggles and goes with us through them, giving us power and comfort to overcome. Let's pray.